Welcome to the Language of Ahava podcast, a podcast for families with young children. So what happens when a rabbi and an early childhood teacher walk into a podcast? I think it's going to be fun, and I'm sure it's going to be about connections. Hi, I'm Karen DeWister, and I'm the early childhood teacher. And I'm David Steinhardt. I'm the senior rabbi at B'nai Torah Congregation. Every conversation that I have with Karen is always fascinating and leads to new ideas. So joining together with Karen, making connections together is really what our goal is. I thank you because what the perspective that you bring to my world and my experiences from the Torah, from tradition, from community, um, from parenthood and grandfatherhood, it's all magnificent. So here comes our podcast. Uh, we'll be posting every other Friday just before Shabbat because we want to make these connections with you. And when you give a little ahava, you make this world a better place. I'm ready, Karen. Let's get going. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. This is episode number 11 of the language of Ahava. And I get to have this perfect seat on a grandparent conversation. Our topic today is the grandparent perspective on raising children in a modern world. And uh, so there are so many questions. There are so many insights. There is so much wisdom to draw on here. Uh, I'm going to kick it right to my co-host, Rabbi Steinhardt. How are you this week? I'm doing well. Thanks, Karen. Good to see you. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with Marshall and Gail, and I look forward to this conversation. I would imagine that they agree with me that this is like the best club to belong to. And you don't realize that until you're there. I mean, everyone says it, they pay lip service to it, but it's such an extraordinary, such an extraordinary sense of fulfillment and your heart opens up to these beings in ways that you never even knew. And so, um, it's a, it's a great thing to be able to talk about, to be able to reflect upon, and I appreciate it. And obviously, there's some very specific or particular Jewish ideas in all of this, too. So I welcome Marshall and Gail. I look forward to this conversation. Um, and Marshall and Gail, you have been a part of um, watching the little children, your grandchildren, uh, who are here at B'nai Torah, Cooper and Allison, and their parents. And I love um, seeing that intergenerational um, experience through family time, through B'nai Torah events. And, and I hear, Rabbi, on how special it is. Um, but I also think that there are some eggshells out there sometimes and boundaries. And with your grandchildren, it's all inclusive love, but with the parents, uh, not your parent, not your grown children, but on behalf of the other parents who are trying to navigate um, how, how grandparent involvement and expectations shape them. I'd like to get into all of that, but welcome, welcome, welcome. Please tell us, because um, I'm not sure I know your background here at B'nai Torah congregation and um, your relationship um, and, and, and your your family experience uh, with your grandchildren? Well, we're pretty new to the B'nai Torah family. We raised our son, Seth, in Miami and our daughter, Lindsay, in Miami. And um, Lindsay left to go to Washington, D.C. And when Seth married our wonderful daughter-in-law, Lauren, and had two gorgeous, perfect grandchildren, um, we just didn't want to be an hour away anymore in traffic. So we moved up here 
And of course, we were going to join the same synagogue they were in because not only did we like the synagogue, but we wanted to share. I didn't want to miss being there and sharing the moments of our Jewish holidays together. And uh, it was a really smart choice on the part of my kids to join B'nai Torah because they fit in well. And I instantly liked being a part of it here. Marshall? Well, I, I want to agree with the rabbi in terms of being in the grandparents' club is the best club to be in. As Gail said, we moved 60 miles so that we could be closer to our grandparents. And we do live in a club up here in, in uh, Boca del Rey, but the grandparents' club is our first uh, love of clubs to be in. So that was a, a good thing for us to do. There's nothing like there's nothing like being involved day to day with your kids, but you talk about a minefield, that's where the first one comes in, is that I, it's very different. I was an at-home mother. So when my mother or my mother-in-law came to visit, I was thrilled to run out the door and leave the grandchildren with them. That was my time off. But now we're dealing with families where both parents work and their personal family time is limited. And we have to be careful not to step over that, rightly so, because they have their nuclear, their immediate family to, to deal with as well. So I can't just do things exactly the way my mother and mother-in-law did it with us because it's a different dynamic entirely. And that's a learning process. It's you, meant, you mentioned something about the eggshells. So I began by talking about, you know, this heartfelt connection that we have to our grandchildren. But, you, you know, the pathway to the grandchildren are through the, through the children, through their parents. And so therein, there, is, there are challenges, and the challenges aren't necessarily created by the, ki- by the parents of our grandchildren. We create those challenges also. I think I might have said this to you once before, Karen, but one of the, um, uh, the great uh, sources of learning for me in my entire life certainly has been uh, my children, uh, raising them and what I've learned from them what they have learned about the world and have been able to share with me. And they're all very insightful kids and they're, they're not kids. They're very insightful adults who, um, who all have like a tendency towards or married to one who has a tendency towards family, uh, family therapy and counseling, et cetera. So my oldest son, Avi once uh, said something to me when I wanted to give my wise advice from all my years of experience, he said to me, I am going to figure this out myself. And he said, when you are constantly making recommendations to me, and this had to do with aspects of raising his daughter, Aya, he said, you're making a statement to me. And the statement is you don't fully trust me. Relationships are truly at their best when there is trust. And so what I realized and what I've had to learn to do, and as a lot of grandparents say, you know, my, my tongue has scars on it. What I've realized is that I have to watch them, you know, like I have to watch them make their choices. Some of those choices I wouldn't necessarily make or agree with. But at the end of the day, they're not life or death choices. And they, they're going to learn. And they're going to learn perhaps in ways better than I learned. And I think that their, their competency has to be trusted and that I don't have to give my opinion about everything. So um, 
that's the challenge. That's really a challenge, not to not to give my opinion about everything. And we live in a culture, you know, we're Jews. We live in a culture where we feel free to give our opinion about everything. And I think sometimes that could be uh, that can be uh, detrimental to relationships. So as I watch my kids' parent, I wait for them to come to me and say, hey, Ab, what do you think I should do about blah, 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 blah? And I try really hard not to tell them what to do about blah, blah, blah until they come to me. So it's difficult. And I'll, in a few moments, I'm going to tell you a really funny story. So I think it's also hard because it's not just what you say. My children know both of us well enough that our silence often speaks volumes too. They, they know that if, it was, if they tell me they've made a decision about something, with the kids especially, and if I think it's good, of course I'm going to say, great, great idea. But when I say nothing or I go, oh, interesting choice, I, I, I might as well have said whatever it is. So it's very hard for me because we're a close family. Sometimes not saying it is saying it too. So it, it, it's, you have to just, it, it's hard. It is not an easy path because it's not just the words, it's your whole demeanor and they know us. Well, I think we're working hard to try to remember that we're the grandparents and not the parents. Because you're always your grown children's parents still. So that role never changed, even though they became adults. And I know that those grown parents want your respect, your admiration, um, your confidence in them, even when they're making mistakes and um, or what we might perceive as mistakes. So um, it is so hard to, to tiptoe around those. But I would... You know, Rabbi mentioned it's a complicated world. And, and Marshall, you kind of set the, the topic, which was in the modern world. And I kind of feel like this world has changed so drastically. It is the grown young parents' world now to navigate, to problem solve. And some of the tools we might have from a different time, I mean, we, they, they both need them as traditional wisdom, or life experience, but then they also need this balance to be able to carve out their own understanding of a world that we don't understand in the same way that they do, or understand those parenting pressures. So Marshall, I'm kicking it back to you for modern world differences. Well, you're, I mean, you're very correct in, in talking about the fact that it's difficult for the kids as well as for us, because the world has changed. They want to maintain their independence. They also feel that although they respect the decisions that their parents make, they think that we don't really understand the world because it's changed so much. So they have to tiptoe a minefield too. They're going to assert their own independence and make their decisions because they think they know the world better than we do, yet they still want to get some advice from us. And even more so, I, I don't think sometimes they want to respect us even when they roll their eyes at our decisions, they still have that underlying respect. So just as we have some conflicts as to, boy, we want to tell them what to do, but we have to recognize that they're the parents. They have conflicts also in terms of we are the parents. We're going to exercise our own independence. We know what's best for our kids but maybe we should listen to what, you know, grandpa and, and grandma have to say. So that's their conflict. You know, there's a uh, concept of the, the Zakain or the elderly 
and for many cultures, in many cultures historically, the elderly had a particular role to play. And it was different than the role of the parent in terms of the parent is involved with the day-to-day activities, you know, the caretaking, um, all of the stuff that the, the preparation of food, all the stuff that makes for a family and makes for life. And the elder brought a certain type of wisdom. And the wisdom was based both on experience and on knowledge, perhaps on storytelling and on spirit. One of the things that um, I have seen in my years as a rabbi, and maybe I speak about this in particular because of my own relationship. I had one grandparent when I grew up, the other three had passed away before I, before I was born, is that um, my grandmother seemed to indicate, seemed to, to show a spiritual life that my parents didn't seem to have, didn't seem to have because they were working, because they were busy, because they were making a house, because they were involved with all the stuff of life. And I think that, and I've noticed that, grandparents have the capacity to, um, to transmit a sense of, um, of a spiritual life that parents don't necessarily have. And that their love and their connection to ritual and to traditions is very can be really influential with kids, and I think that that's really important. So sharing in like the the ritual of family life, and now I'm bringing it obviously to a a place for us as uh, as Jews who want to transmit something to our children and create a sense of connection and love to that. And I think grandparents can play a unique unique role in that. I think that my greatest gift to my grandchildren is time and attention, because precisely as you say, I don't have to worry about getting dinner on the table at a certain time. And if they make a mess, it's okay. I'll clean it up whenever I clean it up. So we're always doing projects. I'm trying to get them to make presents for their parents on on different things. And um, I remember my son saying to me, God, you never would have let us make a mess like that. I said, no, I had to clean it up and get on to other things. So I, I think it, this is, they're different roles. And once you find your role, it's just fantastic. <laughs> so I have a question about that. And that is, um, if you can specifically say, if there weren't any minefields, it, and even gathering from your peers, um, what is it that parents, the grandparents bring that you have to give if you could give it all. Um, and, and I'm asking maybe something a little bit more specific. It's, you know, like you said, we came to celebrate the holidays together. But I know that you've raised your children your, with, with values and a perspective that I'm pretty sure isn't as easily transmittable in this world, um, in this culture, which... Um, with all of the secularization and the consumer driven, you have given your grown children values and priorities. And how, what, do you, what do you want not to get lost in that, um, in that relationship? And that's for, for, for Gail and Marshall and for Rabbi as well. Well, there's, there's so many aspects to that. I'm, I'm gonna touch on two very, very different aspects. First, one that's very mundane, and then one that's much more significant, I think. You know, you mentioned consumerism and all the stuff that's available. 
And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate. My dad was an automobile dealer, but he sold Chevys and Oldsmobiles. And I, I always drove an American car, mostly a Chevy. Uh, I got my first foreign car after my dad passed away. I, you know, I tried to teach my kids values, but my son drives a Mercedes and my daughter drives a BMW. I never would have thought about having kinds of cars like that. But that's really not important. You know, that's, that's the new world we live in. That's fine. More importantly is, is real values, not about consumer values. And, and you know, since this is a B'nai Torah discussion, um, I'll talk about Jewish values. And, and we tried to bring up our kids with Jewish values. And by that, I mean um, to be rooted in Judaism, but to reflect, you know, broader values of recognizing human beings as being good and, and being kind to all people. Um, so we were thrilled when our son chose Lauren as his life partner and they're raising their kids Jewish. Our daughter, who's really more liberal, has made other choices in her life. She's not married, um, but even from the time she was in high school, her, her friends, not just her boyfriends, but even her, her girlfriends, were people from different cultures, which we thought was great that she would accept people from different cultures. But then we have to not be surprised when she chooses for her potential life partner. And we don't know where it'll go, but she, you know, she currently is with um, an Afghani Muslim, whom initially, you know, we had great trepidations about that. How could you do that? Um, but when we met the young man, we recognized him for what he is, a good person, a bright person, someone who cares for our daughter. And we recognized that she made a choice that even though she didn't choose a Jewish person to be her partner, she made a choice of a good person and consistent with Jewish values. So while that was hard for us to accept, it is something that we accept because we recognize that the lessons that we gave our daughter, maybe some of them didn't take, but other ones that maybe just as important did take. So that was a lesson for us as well. And it's not an easy lesson. No, it's very hard. It's not. Gail, I'd like you to speak if you feel like it, but I have one, I I, want to say something about that to, for everybody that's listening. When Gail said how, how wonderful it was to follow her children to Seth and Lauren to a synagogue, to the congregation they would join. And I imagined 90% of grandparents out there listening going, oh, my kids aren't joining a synagogue. Uh, and and so and now you take pride and acceptance in different paths so that the expectations oh my children are going to make the choices i made and then you realize that their life choices are still rooted in those values that you set them up with but there is an adjustment which is you know cuz i i just know so many young families aren't living the Jewish community path that, that so many, that your children, that, that Lauren and Seth chose. I will say, I do not want to minimize the difficulty of the journey to get where we are today. And I made many mistakes along the way. And ironically, so many of the mistakes I feel I made was because I was also reacting as my parents' daughter. And how I would, what, what I would never have said to them or done to them and how my father would, would, would have reacted or did react. And 
my parents are long gone, but my need to please them is not. And it was a very difficult journey. I mean, there were many days, I'm going to tell you, I was curled up in a ball in a fetal position, unable to get my head off. I'm not quite sure why, because I, I never disapproved of my daughter, but the choice was so foreign to me and so frightening that I didn't know what to do. And I think to anybody who goes through this, I have no great words of wisdom, certainly. All I can suggest is give yourself time. Listen to your kid, and when you can't, aren't able to listen, just call a moratorium for a while and figure it out. But ultimately, I missed my daughter. I wanted my daughter to feel able to talk to me, and I missed being with her. I really like her. Not just love her, I like her. And I really wanted to be with her. And I can't tell you, since we came around and we grew up a little, I have her back in my life again. And I, I just, I never allowed myself to realize how much I missed. I was, I was just saying, well, you know, she lives in Washington. Um, you know, and that she, it's a normal thing. She's an adult on her own. But I, it was, it was horrible. And, and we weren't estranged, but we were. We, we were talking, but nothing was being said. She wasn't telling me what was going on, and I wasn't telling her how I felt. It was like if I didn't talk about it, it was going to go away. And um, it doesn't. And as I've gotten to know the young man, there are more differences. There were similarities between us than differences. He's curious. He's interested. Um, the funniest thing was one of the first things he said to me was, well, the only thing my parents and his parents is a lovely family who have been very accepting of Lindsay and not trying to change her at all. Um, and my father only said, please, I hope that they will honor the idea of circumcision on the eighth day because they believed it as much. As we did. And, and Lindsay said, that's really not a problem. Okay? Beautiful. But it was, it was not an easy journey and no one should think that it is or minimize it. But it, it can it can lead to a positive end. Thank you so much for sharing because you've had such different experiences to embrace. And I know that who would have known that you give hope to all grandparents who might be listening and to their children who are looking for understanding, acceptance, um, and inclusivity of whatever... Um, for whatever time they need to, to heal and connect and work through that process. Rabbi, come on in here. Yeah. Um, I, I don't say this in a cynical way at all, Gail. And first of all, I think you guys are courageous to kind of bring this to this conversation and this so much more than our time will permit, but the story's not over. You know, our stories aren't over. They continue generationally. And so we have great concerns for what happens in the immediate, but also we do have concerns for the long-term picture. And as Jews, we know we're deeply connected. You talked about your parents and hearing their voices, but it goes back generations and generations. It also is about what our concerns are for future generations. Having said that, um, I think, as you said, um, Marshall, you know, we want our kids to in, imbibe and to um, inherit the most important human values 
And a lot of these values are really part of a kind of a liberal democratic tradition. We send our kids to colleges, with universities, with all different types of people. I've grown to see, and as you guys probably know also, that the greatest force in life is love. And so love really, there's nothing you can do once, the, once your kids are out there and they fall in love with someone. We're beyond those days where you could threat sitting Shiva or disown them. because you, And also you don't want to. You want the relationship with your daughter to be one that lasts as long as all of you are here. And so I think that my, my advice typically, if I'm asked for advice about this, is that you have to live the most open, fullest, loving Jewish life possible. That you provide a you provide a sanctuary, you provide a place of celebration, a place of observance, a place of meaning. And then hopefully that is also internalized by both a Jewish child and the non-Jewish uh, son or daughter-in-law and grandchildren too. So that you want them to feel, you know, that they are affirmed and that they are loved. And it's done in the framework of your Jewish consciousness and your Jewish inheritance. And that you have that to pass on. Marshall, would you like any final words um, before Rabbi wraps us up here? Uh, I, I couldn't agree more, you know, with what the rabbi said. Um, you, you raise your kids and then your grandchildren. In, in a loving Jewish tradition, and it involves Judy, Jewish traditions and religious traditions, but it also involves love and recognizing other people. And as the rabbi said, in this, in this world, kids are going to go off. You can't keep them home. Some parents, you know, do try to keep their kids in, their, in the tight little community. You know, we were never ones like that. You know, we, we grew up, our kids grew up in Florida. We encouraged them to go out of state to school. And, you know, they're going to meet whom they're going to meet. And um, you want them to find a good person, someone who they will love, who will love them back and take care of them. And, you know, you hope it's Jewish. And if it's, if it's not, you, you do the best you can. And I don't know whether my daughter will um, end up marrying or having children. But if they do, we'll try to at least make sure there's some Judaism in their life as long as we're here on this earth. I am so grateful for this conversation. Um, it has been truly one of hope and of love. And I, I think that the other thing that stuck out to me is when we thought about minefields and eggshells, when Marshall said it's both mundane and it's also profound. And, and I think that... Somehow, everything was touched on uh, from from the daily struggles and joys to the the biggest questions of values in life. So, I thank you and and Rabbi. Um, please close us out with yeah. a beautiful Shabbat and Thanksgiving well, message. No, uh, really, it's uh, more connected to a Thanksgiving message. It could be Shabbat also, but it's connected to a thought I have about Marshall's generational description of the automobiles in his, in his family. So, <laughs> so I, I officiate at lots of funerals. And when I hear grandchildren give eulogies for their grandparents, it is never about the things their grandparents gave them. Never. 
It's never about their cars. It's never about their vacations. It is always about time spent. It's always about shared experiences. It's always about the love and the acceptance they felt from their grandparents. And that's where we have to hang our hats because that's what matters. And you guys recognize that. And that's really beautiful. Thanks for joining us, Karen. Thanks for this conversation. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Shabbat shalom. Thank you so much for listening today, for being part of this moment, for being part of these Ahava connections, and for trying to give a little Ahava to one another. Thank you to my co-host, Rabbi David Steinhardt, for always adding timeless wisdom and a meaningful connection to our world and to this podcast. Thank you, B'nai Torah Congregation, for being our community of support and a place to share with one another. You hold us together in a world that is too often pulling us apart. Thank you to Cantor Magda Fishman for your voice, your whistling, your song, and the soul that you bring to everything you do. If you don't know Cantor Fishman, please check her out at B'nai Torah Services. You will be transformed and inspired. Finally, thank you to the Jewish Federation of South Palm Beach County for helping to fund this Ahava podcast and Ahava Nature Shabbat. And to our Ahava Malahim, our angels, the families who also help underwrite these Ahava projects. For more information about B'nai Torah Congregation, the website is btcboca.org. You can also find me, Karen Deerwester, at FamilyTimeInc.com. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom, and give a little Ahava. Take care. When you give a little Ahava, when you give a little love, you see, you make this world a better place, a much better place to be. When you give a little Ahava, when you give a little love, you'll see you'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be. You'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be.